Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Good morning. It's my joy privilege to share with you God's Word and continue our theme, Equipped for Every Good Work. Most of you, when you came to Emmaus Bible College, you were faced with a question, and that is, would you have enough money to come? Actually, you probably thought through that question long before you got here. Uh, And for most of you, it probably wasn't solved by your first freshman semester. Maybe every semester since or every year, you are faced with that same question again. Will I have enough money to stay at Emmaus Bible College? Um, I raised that question this morning not because I'm going to solve it this morning. So, too bad, sorry. (laughs) I'm not going to answer that question for you. It's more to just raise the issue that most of us, at various points in our lives, unless we had a rich uncle or rich family or some other means of provision, think about uh, having enough money. In fact, some of you can't wait to get out of this place and maybe be from... Under, out from under the burden of the financial responsibility. And you think when you get out of this place, at least you and business majors, uh, will make a lot of money and you won't have to worry about having enough. Um, but some of you will have families, uh, marry someone that might require a little bit of <coughs> cash and funds, and then these little creatures might start running around uh, as a result of the family connection that you have made. And those require... Uh, some of your finances. And so for most of us, you might spend the rest of your life asking that question, will I have enough money? I'm an old guy, so I don't have the connection with you, with educational needs, but I am faced with this question, will I have enough for retirement? That's so far away for you. Although some of the generation Zers want to retire when you're how old? How do you want to, you know, so you're already thinking about, will I have enough? If I was preaching a wealth and prosperity gospel today, then I probably would provide an answer to that question for you. But you found the wrong preacher. Um, So we're going to work through this text, and hopefully I'll adjust the perspective that you have in asking that question, even though we're not going to answer it directly. Um, Equipped for Every Good Work is our theme. Dr. Stevenson introduced that theme and connected it with uh, the passage that actually is quoted Uh, quoting this this theme, and he connected it to the Word of God, that the Word of God equips us for every good work, and he went through that in detail. So that provided a foundation for everything else we will do the rest of this semester. Dr. Fish worked through the passages in Titus that encourages us that the grace of God that saves is also the grace that equips us for good works and teaches us and trains us, uh, that we are transformed by the grace of God, and that transformation means that good Work will follow from that. So the passage we consider today is actually Paul's extended uh, work with financial giving. That's why it sort of connects with the question that I asked or raised that you might have. Will I have enough? Um, As Paul in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians deals with the opportunity to give 
to the needy saints in Jerusalem. So he's challenging the Corinthian church, will you give? And the paragraph that closes this section that we will look at today um, is dealing with will you give generously? So again, I would greatly encourage you to read both of these chapters because I will not solve all the problems that deal with finances or all the what-if questions about specific situations that you might have involving finances. But these two chapters provide a great framework for the principles of giving and receiving in the context of the church. Thankfully, there are plenty of other passages that deal with money and finances, obviously today. We aren't covering a biblical theology of money or finances. We're trying to focus on our theme, equipped for every good work. Um, but that is the connection in the context uh, where we pick it up in verse 6 of chapter 9, where Paul is saying this is the point. In other words, he's beginning to summarize all the arguments that he's made, which is why sometimes <coughs> uh, this passage won't cover all the what-ifs, but previously Paul has already dealt with it. And he provides an agricultural connection. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Uh, I'm not a farmer, so I don't want to say too much. Uh, I would probably maybe should invite some of the farmers in our midst to come up and give us the principle. But it's a single principle that Paul is presenting. We don't want to push the principle further than it is. But if the principle is if you sow just a few seeds of corn, okay, and Let's just say we had one, okay, kernel of corn that we planted in the ground. And again, <clears throat> bear with me, farmers, okay? Uh, and you're already laughing, so you can identify the farmers by them laughing through this whole illustration. But if you have one, two, or maybe even four ears on a stalk of corn, you might get uh, a thousand kernels of corn from each ear, okay, so let's just round it up to 2,000. So you plant one kernel of corn, you get 2,000 kernels from that. So let's just say you planted a few more. Let's say you planted five, and I used to teach math, so I never had to answer math questions. I just asked my student what the answer were was. So if you planted five kernels, you would end up with how many kernels of corn? Okay, got the 10,000, good. And again, the farmers are laughing because they're like, wait a minute, you should be talking acres and bushels. I, I know, help us non-farmers just to bear with it. But that's the principle. If you put in a few, you will get a few. But if you plant so a lot, you will get a lot. That's the principle that is universal, all things being equal, okay? And then Paul in verse 7 links back to the giving that he has been teaching, and he gives several uh, sort of principles for giving that he's already really covered, but we'll summarize here. Each one must give as he decided in his heart. So it's a personal decision. He has already said previously it's not an extraction but a willing gift, so he repeats that. It's not reluctant or under compulsion that we give. So it's the heart attitude for God loves a cheerful giver. The reason we give willingly, the reason we personally, individually decide what to give is because God wants us to give out of joy, out of enjoyment. So the focus is on the attitude of the giver. It must be willingly given. It must be a joyful gift to match up with what God desires. He doesn't talk about the amount. The amount is not the issue, okay, the comparison of what we have. And again, Paul has already covered the principle that we don't give what we don't have, okay? We give out of, as he's going to go on to say, what God has given. 
But the heart attitude in giving is extremely important. Individual decision, willingly given with a joyful attitude. And then, verse 8, Paul sort of summarizes, and it's basically the reason why I chose this section to match up with the uh, theme. Uh, Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that you having all sufficiency in all things at all times may abound in every or all good work. The English translation provides this repetition of the all, making clear that Paul is now summarizing much more than just financial giving. He's extending it far beyond that. Now notice that it doesn't say God gives, although he does, but he is able to give. In all of these circumstances, all grace abounding to you, having all sufficiency at all times, in all things. Because the ability of God to do that is rooted in where Paul's going, which is the last phrase, that you may abound, or to use the theme, that you may be equipped for every good work. Now, some of you tuned me out a long time ago, especially after I told you I wasn't going to answer the question of whether you'd have enough money to stay at Emmaus Bible College. And the rest of you tuned me out because you say, you're talking about money. I don't have any. Okay? (laughs) This is, why are you not preaching to the rich people? Okay? The rich people that have it to give. I don't have it to give. Okay? I'm in debt. You realize that I probably, there's a principle somewhere in Scripture that says I should get out of debt before I give to others. Use the text carefully, and you might get some help with that question as well. I'm not solving all those problems. So I I will give you the benefit of the doubt that actually, for whatever reason, you have no money to give. But this passage expands it out for every good work, which means related to the gifts that God has given you. And again, I'm going to keep it linked to money because money is really useful. And helping us identify our heart in giving. Because guess what? I need money. Okay? I need to buy food. I need to support Tracy. Okay? I need money to do that. You need money too. It looks exactly the same. Okay? So my money and your money looks the same. I need some. You need some. Give it? Really? It seems like I need to decide your need, how much I have. So, and by the way, we can turn money into other stuff. I can use that money to buy something I need. Wonderful, buy food. But I can also use that money to buy something I want. So money shows clearly the principle of whether we're dealing with a need or a want. Now, that's easy for me to look at your life and decide you shouldn't be spending money on that. That's not something you need. But I need this. Yeah, it's good you can't see my library and the books that I buy. Because I need them, okay? If you only understood the need that I have for the books that you can't see that I buy. Lagos is a wonderful thing. Keeps me humble because you can't see my library. And means you don't know how much I've spent on my library. Neither does Tracy, but she's really okay, I think, about that. (laughs) So money can be turned into something else. I mean, we like giving stuff that are, you you know, hey, I've got some used shoes. I don't need them anymore. I don't really want them anymore. You can have them. Oh, what a wonderful gift. How generous of you. I know, that old computer I don't really use anymore. You could have it because I got a new one. 
money doesn't work that way. Oh, but you don't have money. Why am I talking about money? I said I wasn't going to talk about money. You don't have any. All right, let me give you two other pragmatic things that I think will connect. The other is time. Time is another sort of interesting thing. We all sort of need it to accomplish certain things, including things that I require of you. Okay, There's a limited amount that we have. We can't and you're like, well, can I give it to somebody else? Yeah, you absolutely can. Do I have any extra? Well, that's sort of what we're talking about today. Is time, money, things that we could give generously or we could not give at all. I'll give you another one, and that is our energy. That is the amount of whatever you want to call it. Energy we have before we get tired and can't go anymore. And so when Paul says, for every good work, God is able to make all grace abound, including in the areas of money, but we're not talking about money, time and energy, so that you, having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, may abound in time and energy for every good work. God says he's going to give you enough. He's going to provide so that you can give. Paul's going to now support his argument in verse 9 with a quote from Psalm 112. As it is written, he quotes uh, directly, He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. I wish we had time to turn to Psalm 112. I'll leave that for your review. But um, Paul quotes this wisdom psalm, which details the wisdom or the blessedness of the man who fears the Lord and obeys his commandments. And then he goes over what happens to this man. His offspring is blessed. He is wealthy. He has a lot of things. He also deals in ju- with justice. He does righteousness. And then it comes in verse 8 of Psalm 112, what Paul quotes. He has distributed freely. Speaking of the blessed man, he has given to the poor. So this person that is wise, that fears God, that obeys the commandment, is blessed with wealth. Proverb, a, a wisdom psalm, bear that in mind as you interpret it, although it is in the context of the covenanted community, because he is one that fears the Lord and keeps his commandments. Okay, uh, But this person gives out of, of course, the wealth that he has received. And then it closes with his righteousness endures forever. Now, Um, Some people debate whether that his righteousness refers to God's righteousness, but I think it's talking about the blessed man of Psalm 112. That his righteous acts, if we connect it clearly with the good work that Paul has just talked about, endures forever. There's a remembrance by God and possibly by others of the good work, the righteousness that they do. So that's all good. Paul seems to be encouraging us as the wise man, the blessed man of Psalm 112, to give. But again, you're not wealthy like that Psalm 112, blessed man, so it doesn't apply to you, right? Well, let's keep reading. It's interesting in verse 10 how Paul sort of interprets what he's quoted from Psalm 112. He who supplies seed to the sower, so he uses a pronoun. He doesn't identify who that is, that he. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your, referring to the Corinthians, seed for sowing. Well, who is the he that he's talking about in verse 10? 
it takes us maybe a moment, but we don't have to read too far. We realize that's talking about God. God is the one that ultimately provides seed to the sower. And if that was not clear, we think we provide our own seed for sowing. He says bread for food. Our daily bread is provided by God. God gives us our daily bread. Even if you worked, earned a living, bought that bread, the prayer is still give us this day our daily bread because God is the ultimate one who gives. So Paul seems to be interpreting the Psalm 12 pronouns a little different. And by the way, he closes out verse 10 um, multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your. Who is the your? It's going to be the Corinthian righteousness. So now pronouns he refers to God as the one who gives, and yet the righteousness is still linked to the Corinthians. So what has Paul done with Psalm 112? We can't solve that in the time we have because I want to make it through the whole passage. But I think Paul is just making clear that the ultimate giver is God. He is the one who gives. If the blessed man of Psalm 112 gives to the poor, guess who ultimately gives to the poor? It is God. If someone does righteous acts as a result of the grace of God, which is what Dr. Fish articulated last week, who is ultimately doing that righteousness? It is God's work of righteousness. So in a sense, he might be, Paul might be, leaving some ambiguity in the pronoun understanding to sort of say, hey, you don't give without God giving. No one plants or sows or eats bread without ultimately God being the one that provides and gives. So he is the one that supplies seed to the sower, bread for food. He is the one that allows us to sow bountifully, which is obviously Paul's goal. He wants you to be generous in your giving. That's the encouragement to the Corinthians. Verse 11 provides a summary without a lot of the details of what he said in verse 8. You will be enriched in every way. Again, sounds really encouraging. Wow, I want to be rich. You will be enriched in every way. The sentence is not done. To be generous in every way. So in verse 8, we started with God's ability and ended with the abounding in every good work. Here in verse 11, he shortens the link and says, you'll be enriched in every way. In order to be, purpose of you being enriched is to be generous in every way. Do You see all the alls and the everys and the aboundings and the sufficiency, all of that permeates this passage. But then he adds another point. Okay, he's showing clearly that we give only because God has given. God gives generously and we give as a result of that. It's the only way we can give. But now he extends additional results from this giving. The end of verse seven, uh, 11. Okay, which through us, through the giving, this is the, still the practical, actual giving of the Corinthians to the needy saints in Jerusalem, will through us produce thanksgiving to God. Oh, now we're moving and adding the piece of the result that is thanksgiving to God. Not thanksgiving to the one who gives. Oh, it is thanksgiving to the one who gives. Because who gives ultimately? God. No one gives apart from God giving as the ultimate giver. In 12 through 14, Paul now expands on this idea of thanksgiving to God. 
He wants to under, you to understand, the Corinthians to understand clearly what are the results of this giving. Now again, be careful as we work through here. Don't confuse purpose and results. That's where our <coughs> prosperity and wealth folks miss up purpose and the result. Okay, The result of giving, we're going to see some of those, but don't make that the purpose of giving. But notice what Paul says. For the ministry of this service, speaking of the Corinthians' gift to the needy saints, is not only, and then he gives two results of this, supplying the needs of the saints. So he doesn't make light of the needs of people actually being provided. It's one of the purpose that we give. Okay, The Jerusalem saints were suffering persecution, losing their jobs, famines, other things contributed to them not being able to maybe even eat. And so there was real needs, and the gifts provided those real needs. That's obvious, but Paul is stating it. Supplying the needs of saints, but is also, the end of verse 12, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So Paul mentions thanksgivings to God. Now he's going to use his expansive every, all, many thanksgivings to God. Now, how did that happen? How did this thanksgiving to God happen, and what does it look like, and what are sort of, again, the trickle-down results of this? Notice verse 13. By their approval of this service, in other words, they receive the gift, and they're like, this is wonderful. I approve of the gift I've received. It has met a real need. They do what? Verse 13 says, they will glorify God. So Paul is linking the thanksgiving given to God with glory to God. They will glorify God, not the giver in the Corinthians, but the ultimate giver in God. Thanksgiving, glory to God. Now he gives two reasons for glory to God. The reason glory is given to God by the uh, Jerusalem believers who are needy. One is because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel. So, the ones that receive the gift look at the Corinthians and say, you have been submissive to who? Submissive to Paul and his request? No. It's really, really important in light of all of 2 Corinthians where Paul is defending his apostleship and the message of the gospel that is preached and his love for the Corinthians. He doesn't want them to give because he has asked. He doesn't want them to give because he's putting any pressure on them. He wants them to give because of their submission to what? The confession of the gospel. Again, linked to what Dr. Fish said. If you have confessed the gospel of Jesus Christ, it means you have received the grace of God. And the submission, the true submission and evidence of that confession of receiving the grace of God is you will give. And the receivers are like, we see that you have appreciated the gospel. Remember, these are Jews that weren't sure about accepting the Gentiles into the church. But when they received this generous gift from the Gentiles, they would say, they've become submissive to the gospel. They've received the grace of God, and they gave as a result of that. Isn't that wonderful? Because we have made the same confession. Do you see that Paul's beginning to link the giver and the receiver? He's beginning to make that connection you have confessed the gospel of Christ. They have made that same confession, and they realize that your submission has made you link with them in giving. 
Notice the second reason they glorify God. Because of the generosity of your contribution, this is the word that is usually translated fellowship or sharing, generosity of your sharing for them and for others, you gave. They're like, oh, I care about you. I just, it, you know it. Nope. You got to show it. Equipped for every good work to give. And this is what they saw. They saw the real evidence of their faith, their confession, and it resulted in generosity for many in the church. The link is the body of Christ sharing that confession. Now, Paul makes clear the further link in verse 14. He says, while they long for you and pray for you. Grace truly given and received links the giver and the receiver. And Paul wants to make that clear. They long and pray for them. You know, when we don't give graciously or don't receive graciously, then there is actually division between the giver and the receiver. The giver might have pity on the receiver, be condescending to the receiver. Oh, you, you need my help. Isn't it so wonderful that I'm here for you? We won't say that. But we'll think, boy, I'm, I'm a wonderful person. Isn't it great that I have enough? And I pity that person. I make them inferior to me because I have given to them. Makes me feel good. It's just wrong and the opposite of true, gracious, generous giving. But the wrong attitude can also be from the receiver. Where the receiver says, wow, I'm a needy person. This person has given. They must be more important than me. They must be more significant than me. I must be inferior to them. Oh, I'm so appreciative of them giving. I hope they give again. I'm so needy. And that creates a division between the giver and the receiver, which means the gift has not been given and received graciously. But Paul is making clear that when the gift is given and received, both as an act of grace, as a gift of grace, there will be a link. There will be a longing for, Paul uses this word, of his longing for other believers. A sincere desire, not just to be spiritually connected, but to be emotionally connected with them. They long for you. They want to connect with you. They want to show their love and connection, their unity with you. And the other result is they will pray. Now again, the purpose of giving is not to get people to pray for you. Okay, don't do that. That's the wrong direction, okay? But the result of giving to others, they will pray for you. So what's Paul saying? You got this incredible link that's provided because God is the ultimate giver that removes any division that allows gift giving to be unifying. And again, sometimes you have not experienced that. You've experienced real life gift giving and it doesn't create unity. And it doesn't link to God. That's why this is hard to give generously and graciously. And that's why Paul goes into all this detail to show that the result of this kind of giving means there will be incredible unity and a link of prayer and longing between the giver and the receiver. Without condescension, without inferiority, there is unity. It's a powerful act of a gracious gift that God wants to be accomplished. Can God meet our needs directly? Absolutely. Why in the world does he never do it? 
He can rain bread from heaven, money from heaven. He can fill your bank account. For some strange reason, he chooses to use the body of Christ. He can, is able to make all abound. How does he make it abound? Through the Corinthians. Because he wants the glory to go to him and he wants the body of Christ linked, the giver and the receiver linked. And notice again, he brings back the grace of God at the end of verse 14. Because, why will they long for you and pray for you? Because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. They recognize the reason you gave is because of God's grace. So we're not going to glorify you, the giver. We're going to glorify God and give him thanks. And yet, we're going to have an incredible link and unity because it's happening because of God's grace. Paul closes out verse 15, as he often does when he gets really practical and then sort of explodes, realizing that the practical application and outworking of what he's saying links to God, which means, in the end, it leads to worship. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift And he began in chapter 8, if we had time to go through that, with the grace of God and thanks. It should be translated thanks, by the way, but it's actually the same Greek word as grace here. Forming a sort of inclusio to link grace at the beginning and at the end. And, of course, it's talking about the incredible gift. What is this indescribable gift? Well, staying with the close context, it would be the surpassing grace of God that we receive. But where does that grace absolutely flow from? From God and through Jesus Christ. So we would want to go back to chapter 8 and verse 9, reminding us that it is the grace, uh, uh, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. So am I asking you to give? Yes. No? No, I'm actually asking you to give generously. That's Paul's point. Generously is giving willingly and joyfully to meet a real need. And the promise we have is that God will make all grace abound to you so that you can give. You're like, well, when does that happen? We don't have time to solve that. Just give. Give. I'm not saying that only when you give will you receive, although it's really, really close here, and I can probably make that point. The answer is give. Like, I don't have enough. Really? And again, I'm not answering or solving all the questions, but God is able to make all grace abound to you. This is hard for me, too, as an old guy. Should I save for retirement or not? Seems like there's some wisdom to suggest that I should save a little bit for retirement. But am I saving to have enough for me and my selfish desires and my pleasures? Because if I'm not, then I need to analyze my heart. And realize I'm not consistent with the grace of God. Am I saving? i got to search my own heart. Am I saving in order to be able to give? Then that might be valid. 
The only reason we would keep any is because of the opportunity that we have to give. You don't get to get. You get to give. You can apply that a few different ways. Pun intended or not intended. (laughs) God gives graciously. You will have enough. That's the promise I give. Thankfully for you, I don't have time to make an SLT application. I'm sure there's some SLT application I could make here. But the heart of the program that I get to lead, and it's an honor for me to lead it, is because of this text. So when you say you don't have, I don't think any of your SLT requirements require you to give money, so you don't have any. We're not talking about money. But when your SLT requirements require you to give time and energy, the text is here. The text is here. May we each be transformed by the grace of God. May we be equipped with enough for every good work, if you wanted to take that away. We are equipped with enough. No. You don't want enough. Did you find enough in this passage? You're equipped to abound. (laughs) I missed the whole passage if I don't have the all and the every and the sufficiency and the abound. No, sufficiency is wrong. The harvest, the enrichment, the generous. You have enough to abound. Not just enough to get by. To abound in giving. And the world will watch us give and marvel at God's grace in our life. So look around. It's not just out there that we give. We give to each other in the body of Christ. If you want to create unity, don't use that as the result or the purpose but if you want to create unity give the result of giving will create unity in this environment in this culture I know some of you can write checks for others do that praise the Lord add an extra zero what no don't (laughs) give the thing that's harder for you to give right now for me to give right now my time and my energy that God might be glorified Father, thank you for the incredible gift that you have given. How can your son become poor that we might be made rich? Not that we might consume those riches on our own pleasure or selfishness, but we are made rich in order to be able to give. May we be reminded of the words of the Lord Jesus that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when we give, it will be given unto us, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing shall it be given. So that we might give to others. Thank you for graciously allowing us to work out your grace in the context of gifts to others. Thank you for the privilege of doing that. May we learn how to do that in our specific situation and apply it through the power of your Holy Spirit. We might appreciate more of your grace and cause others to appreciate that grace as well. In the name of the one who you have given to us so freely, the Lord Jesus, we pray.
Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.